when you talk about the idea of friendship outweighing business, I think about like uh, people who've hired their friends or their mm-hmm. family members to come work for them. And they may not be competent, you know, and not able to deliver at the standards that your company needs. Um, and that being a very difficult, you know, decision. Do I keep paying them, keeping them on payroll or do I let them go? And so what you'll see is some people are like, I don't want to hurt their feelings, their family. I got to hook them up. I got to make sure they're good. But that's not best decision for your business, you know? Right. And so ultimately, if you're a business owner, a business leader, you have to do what's best for the business. And I think letting them go helps them because maybe they'll give them the space to find something they're actually good at. Hello, and welcome to Wind Down, Build Up, the podcast giving you the tea and the tools to succeed in business. I'm Tabitha Solomon. And I'm KJ Miller. Today on the show, we're doing something new, combining the tea and the tools. Yes, we are taking four of the week's hottest stories and asking what business lessons can we learn from each of them? That's right. I I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I feel like uh, we'll see. And we've never done this before. So (laughs) yeah, and the the topics that we picked are so spicy. I think you can't but learn something from it. Completely agree. So we're going to hit you guys with some tea time after a word from our sponsors. I just finished rereading Tyler and Jean's Lemonade Stand Adventure, and this book is absolutely incredible. Now, if you or your kids don't know what a balance sheet is, if they don't understand assets, liability, and equity, do yourself a favor, go to Amazon and grab this book, Tyler and Jean's Lemonade Stand Adventures. What happens is this incredible author, Stephen Hewitt, has pulled together a kid's book that is using cool illustration and two main protagonists that are actually diverse characters who are essentially on a venture to create a business as kids. And along the journey, they're taught essential financial lessons. Talk about a brilliant idea, letting kids understand how to run a business at a very young age. So as they grow, mature, become adults, this is not a foreign concept to them. So as an audience listening to Wind Down, Build Up, I am so thrilled to be able to put this book, Tyler and Jean's Lemonade Stand Adventures, on your radar. Go on and get it. You won't regret it. Okay, there is a lot going on in the world right now, and a lot of you have written in letting us know that your favorite part of the podcast is actually the tea, Um, and because we've heard that from so many of you, we thought, why not make a whole episode of tea where we'll dive into four distinct pieces of tea or sips of tea, however you want to think (laughs) about it, (laughs) Um, and just ask if there are any lessons to be learned. Right. Now, if you guys are new listeners, when we talk about tea, it's the juicy way we typically introduce the tools. So the tea might be the current events happening in the world or a news story that broke a couple of years ago that are still relevant and applicable to the tools or the lessons of that particular conversation. Now, today we're taking a step further by asking, what do these stories actually teach us about founders, about leaders and business executives? Yes, I'm 
so excited because this is the conversation I love to have with you in particular because <laughs> <laughs> I love I love a good hot take. I feel like you always have a hot take out here. So <laughs> I say let's dive into the tea. Let's do it. Okay, now up first. Now, Tabitha, you know I had to start. I had to start <laughs> with Kanye West. Oh, Kanye, Kanye, Kanye. Oh, okay. I know. I feel like if you're a Black person, whenever you say Kanye's name, you have to do that sigh and that like double, triple Kanye, Kanye, because you're just like, man, how far we have fallen. It well, is- it's so frustrating because I... I believe that Kanye is brilliant. I believe he is a genius. I think that, you know, he has done some groundbreaking things in the music industry. Yes. But, you know, it's like, the I just feel like he used to be all about supporting the community he came from. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, he has made it all about himself, you know? Somewhere in Calabasas. <laughs> <laughs> No, let me quit. Okay. I, I, I agree with you. Kanye to me, I mean, we all grew up on his albums. Like I remember being in high school when college dropout came mm-hmm. out Yeah, and I played that thing forward, backwards, sideways every single day. It was my anthem. It was kind of my first rap album that I even really cared about. Cause you know, I, I grew up a singer. I love to sing. So I didn't care about rap. Yeah. Kanye was the first rapper that I felt like, Oh snaps. Like this dude right here, he gets it. I get yeah. him. Like, Totally. And he made it funny. He had skits in between each song. Like it felt very theatrical and performative. And anyway, so yeah. we we love Kanye. And you know, and I, we love old Kanye. Old Kanye. And I actually have a personal story. I've met Kanye before. Oh, yeah, mm. you know, you know. You know back <laughs> in the day, you know, your girl's fine, had it together. And, <laughs> you know, I went to the Usher concert Come and on. then <laughs> and then after the console, Kanye performs Usher. If you guys remember, 2004, the Confessions album. Yeah. Kanye and Usher went on tour together. And then there was an after party. My friends invited me, and Kanye's crew invited me to hang out with them in VIP. So you wow. can't tell me nothing. And wow. I'm like, okay, okay. And then Kanye comes up to me and asks me if I want to dance. And I was like, oh, I'm just trying to play it cool. I'm like, Sure, sure, I'll dance. <laughs> wow. And I was like, I, you know, I, I mean, that's the end of the story. But still, it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was just kind of cool, you know, because it was like, oh, I've seen you on TV, and now we're dancing and having drinks together, you know. Having um, drinks? Now, wait a minute. Oh, four. Now, you would have been a, <laughs> a smooth 18, 19. <laughs> I don't know what's happened since then and now, but I'm not kicking it with Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> so I love guys, that. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, love Kanye. I loved Kanye. We all loved Kanye, which yes. is why seeing his journey and the events yes. of the last few years has been so sad. And I will just parenthetically state that. I mean, he has said publicly he is bipolar. Right. And um, I don't in any way mean to make light of any mental health um, um, challenges or mental health disorders. I certainly know people who struggle with uh, bipolar disorder. Like I am in no way trying to make light of it. 
that said, I also know because I do personally know people who, who are bipolar, I know what it means to be serious about your medication. Mm-hmm. I know what it means to be serious about, you know, how you are presenting yourself and, and thinking about the platform that you have. And Kanye's platform is bigger than most. So while I in no way want to make light of what could in fact be an episode, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to try and um, diagnose him, could in fact be uh, a manic episode or a bipolar um, episode. Kanye did recently announce he was running for president for the 2020 election. And I do think there are some lessons to be learned as we have watched this unfold and some might say spiral. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are some lessons to be learned here. So I'm curious, curious about your take, because it is it is sensitive. And I do want to be sensitive to it. But at the same time, I think there are some lessons to be learned here. Yeah, I think the, the for me, I think maybe one of the more obvious lessons is how important it is about the people who are around you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, we grow up and everyone always says anyone can be president, right? And I think he took that literally and said that, you know, Donald Trump did it. Why can't I do it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the difference, though, is like Donald Trump had essentially been priming himself for this political run for a number of years like making like people don't talk about this but he had the right contacts you know he had uh he'd been like making sure he had been in the right publications planting ideas for a number of years he had done his analytical research understand what segment of the country felt uh underrepresented you know that rural farmer and and knew that he could uh, essentially galvanize a community of people to support him. So like mm-hmm. people could talk crap about Trump all they want because he's a celebrity, but he had a team that did his, their research. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's by happenstance that he ended up um, winning president. Like I, I called him running, uh, winning for president a year before anyone would even believe it. There's like, there's the answer was oh like, there's no way. But I'm like, I, I think there is a path, you know, um, where Kanye, I feel like he's just throwing his hat in the ring and there's been no due diligence. Like who, what's the audience that he's going to, you know, pull together? What is his message? Trump's message, good or bad, it resonated with someone, you mm-hmm. know, it resonates mm-hmm. with a significant group of people. And so I think Trump's, you know, he surrounds himself with really smart people. And I mean, I hate the fact that if you don't agree with him, he kicks you out of his camp. But nonetheless, he has smart people around him who found that uh, a spot, found a message, uh, found an audience to be able to get him to that presidency. I don't think Kanye has done any of that work. I think he's like, I want to do this, so I'm just going to do it. And I don't yes. think that's smart because he's going to end up dividing um, essentially a segment of young and maybe like uh, people of color voters who might say, you know, I, I fuck with Kanye, so I'm going to vote for him, you know? And I just would hate to see that happen at this point. 100% agree. And I think that's such a smart point about who you surround yourself with. I think it is so easy, and I have certainly watched founders do this. It is so easy to surround yourself with people who never challenge you mm. and who 
are just yes people. Now, I would argue that Trump has absolutely done this. Like, the reason no one is able to stay in his camp who disagrees with him is because, like, he doesn't have the intellectual capacity to deal with people who challenge him. Um, And so I think he absolutely is surrounded by yes people. But to your point, while he might be surrounded by yes people, he's also surrounded by yes people with, like, in some cases, not in all, who've done the work, right? Who've done, who, who have experience in politics. So know how to lay out a path, know how to rile up the Republican base, know how to craft a statement so that, you know, no fallibility lays with him and it all lies with, you know, Obama who hasn't been president in four <laughs> years. Like they they have the experience. So I think in um, Kanye's case, not only is he lacking people who challenge him, he's also lacking people with any political experience. Yeah, And I think that is like a really you know, deadly double-edged sword. And I I do see founders make that same mistake where they just, you know, you want people around you who say yes. You want people around you who um, validate what you think and what what your next goal is or what your vision is. And I have learned it is so important to have people who are primed to push and I, I pressed against that in the beginning. You know, our one of our very first um, executives who we had join our team, who was sort of more senior, she always pushed. And I really hated that. I really, mm-hmm. it took me a long time to get to a place where I saw the value in it. Because now I understand, like, this is a good thing. It is a good thing that, like, I don't get to just sort of, like, move forward with any, every single one of my whims, right? Absolutely, like, absolutely. That is a good thing, but yeah. it took me a while to understand that. And I think it's such a smart point you're making that like, he doesn't have those people around him uh, pushing against him, or at least from the outside looking in, it seems mm-hmm. like he doesn't have enough of them. Yeah, I yeah, totally. And I think what's also interesting is like, I'm kind of curious from your perspective on why is he making this bid for president? I think that the people he has surrounded himself with, the Kardashians, they're brilliant business people, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They've built an empire out of what some say is nothing, right? But they clearly are brilliant in what they do. Um, And so a couple of years ago, Kanye was saying, I'm in debt, like Mark Zuckerberg, give me money. Like he was begging people for money publicly. And now he's a billionaire. You know, I don't, I also think that, you know, the people he, talking about who you're with right because you are some of the five people you spend most of your time with they're brilliant business people and i believe they've been able to help him to turn things around Mm -hmm. um business wise and i don't understand why he just doesn't lean into that and why he wants to make this political bid any guesses from you on why he might be doing that well look now again i'm not you know a therapist or a psychologist so i I don't have any room to diagnose people, but I do think Kanye exhibits pretty classic narcissistic Uh-oh, behavior. Okay. Okay. Yep. And, and I, I think the narcissistic side of him believes like there's nothing I can't do. And okay. this to me gets to one of those oft sort of quoted phrases about how like women, if there's a job that's available, women think they need to have a hundred percent of the qualifications before they'll apply. And a man will look at a job where maybe he has half of the qualifications and assume that he can do it. Right. 
And yep. like Kanye has not even half. Kanye, I don't even know if this man has 10% of what you would need, <laughs> you know, from an experience or qualification standpoint to be president. And he's looking at the job thinking like, I can do it anyway. Whereas yeah. I think a lot of women would be like, wait, That's what? So no, interesting. There's, there's no way. And yeah, I do think not only do you see that more in men, but certainly see that more in narcissistic, you know, personalities, because there is just an assumption like, I'm better. I'm good enough. I I will figure it out. I'll get it done. Like whatever it is, I can do it. And you know I what you're know. saying is so true because I think about who was running for president. You know, even this year, like Kamala, Elizabeth, um, Amy, like all these women. You know, uh, I think I'm missing Elizabeth, but like these women are rock star and have stellar, like you know, stellar. solid resume. But then you have like. Mayor Pete, you know, <laughs> girl. Oh, don't get me started on Mayor Pete. Oh my god, I hadn't even thought of that. But don't you're right. get me like... started on Mayor Pete, girl, because <laughs> yes, I. So I mean, to be perfectly honest, my candidate was Liz Warren. I call her Liz because in my mind, she's my home girl. <laughs> my girl Liz was beyond qualified same with Kamala okay beyond qualified same with Klobuchar who I didn't even like but she was definitely qualified Qualified. you had Mayor Pete (laughs) out here I didn't even think of that I didn't even cross my mind but you're right and that points back to like the data shows women feel like we have to be 100% qualified where men think they can be a mayor and run for president or, okay. you know, on Celebrity Apprentice and run for president okay. or in this situation, a rapper and be president. So okay. uh, very mean, interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. And not just mayor, but mayor of like 100,000 folks. Like, I mean, truly, but yes, that's exactly it. And I think like the men have been, men have been told over and over for centuries and centuries just wanting it is enough of a reason why you should have it yeah right like just the fact that you want it that's enough and women have been told for centuries and centuries not only is wanting it not enough being qualified for it isn't yeah yeah you know yeah it's a very different playing ground we're on yeah and I think the same is probably true for people of color so I think one of the lessons here is like look sis you know to all the women who are listening because about half our audience is men, about half is women, maybe a little bit more women. Like, if you're not qualified for that job and you want it, go for it. Go I mean, for it. Go for it. Why not? Why because not? most of the applicant pool is probably men, and we already know they're not qualified. So why not go for it? Show up. And I could tell you, like, we're on a hiring spree right now, and it's crazy the talent of women we're getting. And the men are just, like, all pretty mediocre honestly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so you know what I mean and the, the men are demanding more money than the women it's mm-hmm. fascinating to be on I've never been on the HR side of things right I've been a marketer uh, strategist etc but like the dynamics that the men demand almost double that the women do here so again not only women not only go for it but ask for double what you think you're worth yep because if you're that good we'll pay you we don't have a choice right right exactly they're not asking for it so Hundred percent. I. I mean, yep. I'm with you. We're we are hiring as well right now, and I'm excited. Now, look, we don't currently have any male um, full time employees, and I know we're gonna get resumes from men. And I know I am trying to make it seem like we're not out here trying to hire y'all. We are. We are an equal opportunity employer at sure. Minted Cosmetics. However, I will just say, if you are a man about to fix your face to come and apply and interview, 
please know you have to come correct. Like mm -hmm. this isn't some place where you can skate by and just exactly. assume that, you know, I've got a pretty face and a shiny resume and a, you know, and a business school degree and I'm going to make it happen. No, 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 no. Because mm -hmm. at Minted, we work. And in my That's experience, right. women know how to work. They yes. know how to get dirty to work yes. long hours to be, yes. you know what I'm saying? That's, so that's exactly what I'm seeing happen in, in, in our organization. Like the women will, I'll be up till two working and they'll be like, what do you need tabs? And I'm like, wow, you guys are still, I feel, I was so guilty, you know, but they're like, look, we have this launch coming, whatever it takes. The guys, it's just a different dynamic. I don't know where that's coming from. So mm -hmm. I appreciate the women. I guess the challenge is also like, you know, women ask for the raise, ask for higher pay, you know, go for that role. You're not qualified. And men, you know, Step it up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love you guys. Thanks we love y'all. We're going to get some comments <laughs> off of this one. Okay. <laughs> so on, on to, to the, the next. next. Yes, on to the next. So now this is related. Now, did you see um, all the news and the tweets and the whatnots about Chance the Rapper? Mm -hmm. I did. Because he came out and tweeted, and I don't remember the exact tweet, but basically said after Kanye announced his little run for presidency, Chance tweeted like, this is why I'm not like, I don't understand why y'all are so pro Biden. Like, you know, why you're not supporting someone like Kanye. And Obviously, the entire universe and all of Twitter <laughs> <laughs> immediately jumped on this man's case because, sir, what? Yeah, what are you? What are you even talking about? And again, I think there are some parallels to be learned for the founders and business executives among us. I think you know one. I mean, I think fairly obvious lesson is letting friendship outweigh business decisions. Mm -hmm. And we've definitely seen examples of that in the startup world where someone's your homegirl or someone's your homeboy. So you mm -hmm. stand by them no matter what. And it's like, yeah. no, that's not how business works. That's not how politics works. Like yeah. there's real shit on the line here, real lives on the line when it comes to our, our political system right now. You can't just tweet in support of your homeboy when your homeboy is talking nonsense. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you talk about the idea of friendship outweighing business, I think about like uh, people who've hired their friends or their mm -hmm. family members to come work for them and they may not be competent, you know, and not able to deliver at the standards that your company needs. Um, and that being a very difficult, you know, decision. Do I keep paying them, keeping them on payroll or do I let them go? And so what you'll see is some people are like, I don't want to hurt their feelings, their family. I got to hook them up. I got to make sure they're good. But that's not best decision for your business, you know? Right. And so ultimately, if you're a business owner, a business leader, you have to do what's best for the business. And I think letting them go helps them because maybe they'll give them the space to find something they're actually good at. Yep. It makes me think of, you know, all those stories of celebrities who sort of like went broke. And I feel like yeah. whenever I would read stories about celebrities going broke and those celebrities were Black so much of the time they were supporting everybody in their family yeah. like every friend every cousin their grandparents decision. yes like they had so many people on quote-unquote payroll yeah. because they were the one person in their community to come up yeah. and and they didn't want to leave anyone behind and I definitely understand that impetus I really do but at the same time you can't pull anybody up if people are dragging you down 
And right. I think that's something that can be very hard for minorities in particular to grasp. And I don't, I, I'm not trying to make it sound like you shouldn't be bringing people up with you. You should, but I think you have to have a really firm grasp on how much time can I allocate to this? How much of my resources can I allocate to this and still be good for myself? Because I don't do anyone any good if I go bankrupt, right? right. Like if, if, right. I, if I'm not able to sustain myself, I'm certainly not able to sustain you. So I, I see that um, I see that a lot. I feel like in the Black community and in minority communities, where we've got the weight on the weight of the world on our shoulder, and so many people we're trying to make sure are good, and it's like, yeah, but if you're not good, how can anybody else be? Yeah, and I think that applies to anyone who is usually coming from a lower social economic class uh, in general, regardless of race. So if you're an immigrant you know, and you're from China or you're from anywhere, you know, where you grew up with very humble beginnings, you want to like pay it forward to all the people who help you get there. Um, and so, yeah, it's one of those things where like, I really like the LeBron James model. Um, I don't know if you happen to take Smicky when we were at uh, HBS together. Oh no, I couldn't get in girl. You know, that class was hard to get into. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this world famous class taught by Anita. Um, and she wrote a book called Blockbusters and it's about strategic marketing and creative industries. And she would bring celebrities to class. So like Dwayne Wade, um, uh, the CEO of Disney, a um, whole bunch of sports icons, actors. It was crazy who she would get to come and speak to our class. Um, and there's essentially like uh, people who are in creative industries, but have turned that into businesses. So LeBron James is one of her biggest case studies. Um, he actually like, came to class uh he came to her book launch party that you know a few of us went to um and what lebron james did is like look i'm not going to give you guys handouts but i will give you career opportunities so for instance he hired his best friend maverick to be his um agent and maverick is a very smart man very smart man and maverick uh, you know decided to like launch all these other businesses so you might have heard that lebron is in LA trying to create like this creative um, like content business. Mm-hmm. Maverick is at the helm of that. And so he has given the people in his tribe opportunities to step up mm-hmm. in different leadership roles and, mm-hmm. um, you know, delegate authority and uh, essentially develop them to being like world-class leaders themselves. So when someone wants to get to LeBron, that's like everybody. They're like, he's like, talk to my agent. You know, and this guy is smart enough to manage like the accountants and manage everyone else on the team. Um, and so that's what I would like to see more of, you know, yeah. like, you know, like saying, OK, what are you actually good at and how do we develop that, you know, and turn that into a money making machine for everybody instead yeah. of like, here's a handout. You know, it's, I mean, it's like that proverb, you know, you teach a man to um, teach a man to fish, then he's actually going to be fishing for the rest of his life versus, you know, if you just give him a fish, mm-hmm. he's going to eat for that day. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the LeBron James model is better. Yeah. You know what that makes me think of as I think about this whole Chance the Rapper Kanye thing is Chance's relationship to Kanye versus John Legend's relationship to Kanye. And Jay-Z's. Well, there you have it. I <laughs> Now, look, I'm deep in the celebrity gossip, okay? It's one of my favorite <laughs> pastimes. One of my favorite guilty pleasures is I like to go in and really try and understand these people's relationships. And what I have noticed between John Legend and Kanye mm-hmm. is John, con- at least he tries to counsel Kanye in private. 
The mm. only time their private conversations have even been made public is because Kanye would tweet it out when John <laughs> would try to like counsel him privately. And John actually wrote to Chance the Rapper on Twitter and about Chance the Rapper on Twitter and his whole support of Kanye, basically saying like, this ain't it, right? Yeah, like yeah. the stakes are too high. People's lives are on the line. It's one thing to want to, you know, support a friend or tear down the the current in, in um, injustices, but you can't do it without really thinking about the real world, world consequences of your actions, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, to your point about LeBron, like LeBron isn't saying like, oh, all my homies, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put you on no matter what. No, right. no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. He's holding his homies accountable. That's if right. you want a shot, I'll help you get a shot. That's but right. You have to step up. And I feel like John Legend does that with Kanye. Like, listen, I'm not abandoning you because you've said this dumb shit, but I'm going to hold you accountable because I actually care about you. And to yeah. me, it's much more important that like, I support you by holding you accountable than I support you by tweeting my support of something, you know, dumb you said. So I do see, I do see parallels there. Absolutely. Let's hop over to Quibi. No. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so much to say about Quibi. And I did learn that it's Quibi, not Quibi, because uh, one of the articles I read about it said it rhymes with Libby. Libby? Okay, so it's Quibi. And we talked about this in a prior episode, but we just touched on it. I think there's enough here to like, really give it give it its due so many lessons and by the way when we touched on it before I said I think they've raised like a quarter of a billion dollars no no they've raised 1.75 billion Mm dollars okay so they are a quarter of a million away from two billion that's Mm. (laughs) so that's how much money this company has raised and for those of you who haven't heard that episode or aren't familiar Quibi, which um, is short for Quick Bites, is a media company started by a former Disney executive, a very successful Disney executive who was behind like Beauty and the Beast and then created DreamWorks and came out with Shrek and like a very, very successful who started this content media platform where uh, every single show would be 10 minutes or less or every single installment of the show or the movie would be 10 minutes or less. So it stands for quick bites. And the idea was like, people are on the go. Like, obviously they had this idea before COVID hit us all. People want to watch like eight to 10 minutes while they're in line at Starbucks for their morning coffee, while they're on the train, while they're taking a quick break. Like this is how consumers are actually going to be consuming content is is Mm -hmm. in these quick bites. Mm -hmm. That was the whole thesis. And they raised I guess uh, $1.75 billion (laughs) and brought on all these A-list celebrities because they were like, this is how we're going to attract people to download the app and to consume the content. Anyway, 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 long story short, it's been a huge failure so far. Now look, the story's not over. Maybe they'll turn it around. But so far, Quibi has been a whole hell of a mess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm curious, what are some lessons you think we can take away from this? Well, I think for someone like me who thinks about being scrappy and nimble and fast and get it out there, test, iterate, you know, test, iterate, 
their approach is very different from my philosophy of running a business. So, um, yep. you know, when I wanted to test this concept of would people buy better quality party supplies? I didn't raise $1.75 billion to do that. <laughs> I, I did it. You know, what I did <laughs> is I went into my savings account. I got some new products, you know, designed. I got some samples manufactured. I picked one. I bought some initial inventory and started selling. And the answer is yes, people like that particular product. Okay, then I did another product. Okay, no, people didn't like that product. I put out two other products that were closer to the first product. Okay, they like that product. Okay, there's now a pattern. I'm going all in. And I don't know that there is anything like that that took place here. At least from what we've read, people don't talk about that in their origin story. It sounds like out the gang, out the gate, they're trying to make a big splash, a big bang. And I totally get that. And I guess if you can do it, great but like one of the big lessons that I take from this is like starting small crawling before you walk test iterate hear from your customers and then go all out I think they're now in a precocious situation where they've raised this money and so the investors want to see a spit and they want to see a return fast and they're not able to deliver yep I will say yes 100% agree with you I have seen now just because I've been in this startup game a, a few years now I can tell you, and I won't actually name them, multiple startups that I have watched, multiple startups that I have watched, raise too much too soon uh, mm-hmm. and raise before they launch. Yep. So they raise their one, two, three million dollar seed, whatever, mm-hmm. before they even launch the thing. And then what I've watched 100% of the time, I promise you 100% of the time, I watch these guys push their launch date out and out and out and out. They're Every so, time. They're so scared to launch because there's so much writing on the launch. That's Once right. you've raised a million plus dollars, like you feel like every single thing has to be perfect. Yep. Right. Time. Like otherwise, mm-hmm. otherwise, what am I doing? I've raised over a million dollars. Like it's gotta be the best launch That's possible. Right. And so they, they, they keep pushing it. Meanwhile, when Amanda and I launched Minted, in the bank from investors, we had fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Okay, and we had to launch because we had quit our job. So it was like, well, something's got to happen. You yeah, know? like yeah, somebody's got to sell some kind of lipstick somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we almost didn't have a choice. Like we did as much as we could do. We prepared. You know, we had our manufacturing. We, we set up our site. We, you know, we did everything we could do. But at a certain point, it was like, all right, we got to go. That's right. We got to press go. And we know it's not the best version of this thing, but it's a good enough version to launch. And when you don't have a million dollars sitting in the bank, looking at you, wondering like why you're not doing better. It's so much easier to do. And I've just, Oh, I could tell, I'll tell you after the call, I could literally name (laughs) a roster (laughs) of startups that I watched do this, raising that much money. So I guess my, my advice and my takeaway from founder perspective is this raising that much money. And obviously I don't think any of you are about to go raise 1.75 billion, but even raising a million Mm -hmm. before you launch, I have just seen it go so poorly. Yeah. And, 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 and doesn't go poorly for everyone, but just be very clear on like, why do I need this much before I launch? Yeah. Like you need to be crystal clear on that. Yeah. And chances are you don't. And I think you will launch sooner and iterate more quickly. That's right. When you're, you know, when, when you have to, yep. and I just, oh, 
it's just such a shame to watch. It's so sad to watch. Yeah. And I'm, I guess they were thinking, well, we want A-list celebrities and we're, we're creating content. You know, we're not doing party supplies. We're not doing lipstick. So it's going to take more capital. But anyway, you slice it, $1.75 billion is a lot of money and probably more than they needed, right? Because I can, I'm sure a ton of investors probably came by like, why would someone pick Quibi over YouTube? You know, there's some pretty good content on YouTube. And they're pretty much like, well, there's ce- we could use celebrities. Like, well, YouTube is creating YouTube celebrity content, you know? <laughs> like, right. So, like, can you essentially, like, test and, like, put something out there to see that people actually want it, you know? Um, so, for yeah. me, that was by far the biggest lesson from the Quibi uh, debacle is, like, test, iterate. Don't raise more than you need to, you know? Like, get consumer feedback along the way. Um, and that's, totally. those are like part of the winning formula. Yeah. Another thing I feel like was interesting just in reading more about Quibi was, I love this quote. There's this um, great article in Vulture all about Quibi and just sort of how much of a mess it is. But there's a great quote from the writer who says, people have wondered why Katzenberg and Whitman, that's the founder and the woman exec he brought on, in their late and early 60s, respectively, and not very active on social media, would believe they have uniquely penetrating (laughs) insight into the unacknowledged desires of young people. And first of all, that is such great shade. I just think this author should congratulate themselves. (laughs) A, A plus shade, okay? But also such a good point. Like to me, this is again, a little tidbit for founders. You have to be so careful when you aren't your consumer, Yeah. right? Now, it doesn't mean it can't be done. Plenty of people have started businesses for a demographic that maybe they aren't a part of. Arguably, everyone who's ever started a business for like children. Mm -hmm. But, so I'm not saying it can't be done, but you have to be plugged in. And if you read this article further, they have quotes from both of them. Like when they talk about the actual entertainment that they consume, it's like, you are so not plugged in at all to this audience you're trying to reach. So like, what makes you qualified? What makes you an expert in this? Like what made you think you would do a really great Mm -hmm. job of this, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I just think like, if you, if you can start a business where you are your own consumer, you are going to get at least some sort of tactical advantage because you deeply and intimately understand like, this is what this person struggles with or this is what this person wants. Yeah. And you know, one other thing um, is I often say to my team um, when I'm doing other podcast interviews, et cetera, is that business is numbers. Business is not guessing. Business is numbers, right? And so I thought there was another quote um, here. It says, the importance of data intuition. I say, where's your data? And that was a question asked to Whitman. Uh, Whitman says of their contrasting style, he says, there is none. You just have to go with your gut. And so for me, that's problematic, right? Like (laughs) that's problematic. Like you say, like you just have to go with your gut. I understand in creative industries, you have to use your intuition more than a lot of other, um, other industries, but like Netflix doesn't make content based off Horror movies is performing at this rate, so we can spend this much money on it. You know, rom-com is performing at this rate. You know, shorter uh, shorter content is performing better than long. So they're using data to make their decisions. And so for these leaders to say, just go with your gut, I think was another problematic statement. 
Yeah, I agree. I like, and it's not that you don't use your intuition in business. You absolutely do. But to me, my intuition is almost always guided by data. Like even today I was in a meeting, um, a leadership meeting. We were talking about holiday. We were talking about what promotions were going to run for mm-hmm. holiday. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was like pretty adamant about doing one type of promotion over another. And I was like, yeah, I was like, but the reason why is because I'm pretty sure if we look at the data, we tried something like this. It was something that they were sort of more advocating for. We tried something like this last year. And I was like, and I'm pretty sure it didn't meet expectations. And I didn't have the numbers right in front of me, yeah. but I remember them. It's like once once something doesn't do what I think it's going to do numbers wise, even if I don't remember the exact number, I remember how I felt Absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> when yeah. it didn't perform. And I was like, hold on, y'all. Let's just look at the numbers because I'm pretty sure it didn't do what we needed it to do. And I don't want to make the same mistake twice. And we looked at the numbers and it was a hundred percent what I said. And I don't say that to brag. I say that simply to say, yes, sometimes I form a gut feeling, but it's typically informed by data, you know, like, and I think that's so important. Yeah. We actually have an episode coming up where we're going to actually dive into the data that we actually look at and the numbers we break down to make real business decisions in Dash Camp, Party Dash, and Minted Cosmetics coming up here soon. So make sure you keep your eyes and ears open for that episode. 100%. Stay tuned. And for our final, final sort of piece of tea, now it feels a little, you know, trivial to call it tea, but I will say, I think we've all been paying attention to the resurgence of COVID. Yeah. And I think the resurgence of COVID in Florida in particular yeah has been I mean just such a shit show yeah and to me one of the first things I thought of lessons I thought of as it relates to founders and business executives is um the importance of not celebrating too early absolutely because if you look at um the Florida governor's statements like back in like April May when their case numbers were still fairly low um and as they were getting ready to reopen they were like, we're doing great. You know, we've, we're in a good position. Uh, basically everything that he was saying and, and representatives were saying was like, Florida's doing it right. We're ready to reopen. Lo and behold, you reopened way too early, earlier than the CDC would have, <clears throat> would have um, recommended. And now you guys are literally basically the world epicenter for COVID. Yeah. And, you know, I don't in any way mean to make light of it, but I do think there's a real lesson there for founders, which is you can't like look at a month's worth of data or a week's worth of data and assume like every following month will look like the month you're in. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, and I see people making that mistake all the time. Like, Oh, we had a strong month. Oh, we got some great press in this month. We're set. Mm -hmm. Like, no, literally in my mind, I reset on my business pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. Right. Just because yesterday was a great day does not mean today is going to be a great day. I am always asking like, what do I have to do in this moment to make this month great, this week great, yeah. like this weekend great? Like I never get to rest on my laurels. And like as founders, none of us do. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. Um, so I have a question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we'll probably be on the same page on this one, but the Republican National Convention is actually coming to my hometown, Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Jacksonville had a little over a thousand cases 
um, I think just yesterday. Uh, and so we are not immune to the spike in COVID here. Um, mm-hmm. When it was initially planned, it was essentially not a hot spot. It was actually a place that had avoided having a serious outbreak. But alas, here we are, July, you know, one month before the national convention takes place. <clears throat> do you think that in business, you should do what's best for the business? Or in this example, like, I don't want to say what's best for your customers, but it feels like it's uh, a situation like that here, right? You could have thousands of people come into this arena and have the Republican National Convention. Um, and that way, you know, galvanize your audience, get them hype up. And you maybe could do it in, you know, a, a, I don't know if safe is an option or a safer, op- uh, you know, or do you essentially say, you know, we're not going to have it this way. We're going to do a, a virtual option. It's not going to get people as excited, but it'll keep it. You, you, the chances of getting COVID is much lower if you're at home than if you are in a big arena right. of crowded people. Like, right, you know, stepping out, you know, stepping into like a business leader's perspective and a similar mm-hmm. analogy. Like, how do you go about thinking about making that decision? Yeah, to me, it's such an easy decision. It is. I will always prioritize the safety and the health of my team and my customers over money and you know whatever live fun experience they get to have like what we have been forced to do in COVID and now I'm so thankful not thankful for COVID but thankful that we've had the time to to think through how to do it is how to have really strong events virtually we just Mm -hmm. launched a new product on Friday so a few days ago we had a full day of programming the day of the launch which mentors we we call our influencers mentors like minted mentors it's cute (laughs) we had a a full day of programming um, with our mentors on IG live we had different people every two hours and you know taking you through tutorials talking you through the product talking you through their everyday makeup routine like we had literally just one video alone when I looked on that Friday had over 14,000 views. So ah. I haven't looked at all the other videos yet. So we had so many people tuned in, so many people commenting, engaged. Like typically when we launch a product, we have a launch party. We had, you know, people live. Obviously we couldn't do that. And so we had to find this new avenue and way to keep people in engage- engaged and it worked really, really well. And had we not been in this position, we wouldn't have stretched ourselves this way. Yeah. And to me, we gave our customers and our followers this great experience, but we also made sure everybody was safe. And I would never in a million years prioritize money or profits or anything else over safety. I just think that is so, so crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's short-term thinking anytime you prioritize money over people. Um. But it, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because I think they're trying to find innovative ways to keep people safe uh, during this event. And so, you know, like whether we agree with it or not, I'm just hoping people stay safe out there. Me too. hundred percent. I agree with you there. Well, I think that's it for this week. I think so too. We covered a lot. I hope the people enjoyed this extended tea. (laughs) It was very tasty, my friend. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, Well, look, guys, if you're loving the show, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Yeah. And if you have a topic you'd like for us to cover, just shoot us an email at windownbuildup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week.
Cheers. Cheers.